welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our experiences of language learning with you, as well as the stories of other Australians and a few international guests who love learning, working with and communicating using other languages. I'm Beck. And I'm Penny. And we'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Wadarung people and the Wurundjeri people. And we pay our respects to their elders past and present. And today we have a guest with us um, coming straight to you from London, John Jang. Welcome to Language Chats. Thank you so much, Beck and Penny. Um, great to be here. Great. Amazing. Now, John, before we go any further, I just wanted to say that, so John actually got in touch with us um, a little while back to um, let us know that he'd be happy to chat with us on the podcast. And as soon as we read a little bit about him, we straight away were intrigued about his language story um, and kind of life story, actually, John. (laughs) Um, but um, pretty much straight away we were very, very much intrigued to to have a chat with you. So um, thank you for um, getting in touch with us. Um, for everybody else out there, could you could you just start by well introducing yourself and, and tell us a little bit more about um, I guess where where you've come from and and where things are for you now. Sure. So I was born in Korea and grew up in Australia. So I'm de facto bilingual. But, you know, my, my mother tongue is Korean and I learned English when I moved to Australia when I was seven. So I, I guess I had a, an early interest in languages, but only by force, you know, I wasn't consciously aware of that. And I learned Japanese in high school and uh, I mean, I studied it in high school as a subject and I went to Japan as a part of an exchange uh, that our school organized when I was in year 10. And that's when I realized I couldn't speak a lick of Japanese. And <laughs> after a couple of years of having studied it, I thought for some reason, I thought that I'd be somehow conversational. And that left me in a bit of a shock, but I didn't drop it until, until my final year in HSE when I realized there's so much effort involved in maintaining um, the progress towards fluency. And I pretty much gave up on that um, and just continued with life until I came across um, the need to learn a language uh, when I moved to Italy. So I studied medicine out of high school and was working um, in Westmead, which is one of the uh, bigger hospitals in Sydney. And at that time, I was also going through like a personal journey and uh, became very religious throughout my uh, medical career. I mean, from, from when I entered med school, I started dating a Protestant girl and I'm from a Catholic family. So all of this kind of came up and started to influence my priorities. Or let's say, yeah, I was basically very interested in it myself and after a year of medicine in the in the work, uh, yeah, in my work life, I decided to become a Catholic priest, and so that took me to Italy. After a few years in the seminary in Sydney, I was sent to a seminary in Rome, and there I picked up the the interest in language learning once again. And this time, I thought to myself, you know, I better learn Italian properly not like with Japanese, what happened with Japanese, um, which was great. It was, it was such an interesting um, journey with Japanese. But with Italian, I had a bit of a 
more of a practical need. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there I tried to mix in. I got a bit ambitious and tried to learn German at the same time. And hey, why yeah, not? <laughs> yeah, why not? And it's funny actually that really helped me in a way to leave the priesthood. Eventually, I left the priesthood. I became ordained. I don't want to offend any Catholics listening, but it happened that way. That after my ordination, I I realized that I didn't belong there or that it wasn't for me, and. Or to be short, it was basically I met a girl who was teaching me German. So, um, so my interest in in le- language learning really uh, was part of part of me. Um, I would say evolving in my life, and mm-hmm. yeah, it it's led me to um, at least uh, leave the priesthood, and then and then I moved to Tunisia, um, and in Tunisia I was teaching English. And I was learning Tunisian as well, of course. And in that process, I realized there's a way maybe that I have, um, maybe there's a way that I've learned, to, uh, like ways that help learn a language that I've learned in my journey that I could share with others. And yeah, in my experience at the school where I was teaching, I learned a few tricks as well. So I packaged that all up in a platform that I'm currently heading up for language education online. So that's brought me to London in order to participate in EdTech uh, networking. Um, and yeah, that kind of sums up uh, my journey thus far. Wow, that's amazing, John. I, I think, I don't know where to start, but I've, I've got to go back to um, when you were, you graduated, you were working as a doctor, you're at Westmead and you decide to leave medicine and to go and become a priest that must have been such a a huge decision for you personally at the time um and then you know doing the the local work here in Australia and then getting going across to Italy as well was that part of the plan did you want to move to Italy as part of this this overall overarching maybe I think maybe yeah deep Um. down (laughs) Yeah, it would have been subconscious because, but but I think what you're saying makes sense uh, because I did make my first trip to Italy, or not, it wasn't Italy, to Europe um, before I made the decision to uh, enter the seminary. And I think that had a profound impact on me. And I remember one place that I went to, the Louvre in France, um, because actually I was with my girlfriend at the time and we were just passing the Louvre and it wasn't on our agenda, but we were like, oh, there's no line. Let's have a look. <laughs> there was a massive line Unusual. actually underneath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was actually a massive line, but it was underneath that glass pyramid. We didn't realize until we got in. <laughs> but yeah, that had that opened up my eyes. Like, what's this about? Like, there are people like, you know, there are a lot of artifacts. I mean, we have obviously Aboriginal artifacts in Australia. Uh, which are tens of thousands of years old. But for some reason, um, yeah, I needed this kind of impact from uh, seeing these old um, artifacts in this museum to to make, kind of make me curious about the outside world. Um, and yeah, this this probably made me very drawn to, to move to Italy uh, when I was uh, asked to go there um to some extent uh, i wanted to see more of this uh 
I guess I wanted a, a more um, humanities focused ed- education, which I which I wasn't really interested in earlier. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, there's again, there are there are so many things that I feel like I have to ask you about your very interesting language story, um, and I'm going to jump back actually even further than <laughs> than than Penny did. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about your about your childhood and and growing up? I suppose as a um, well, with English as your second language, but also mm. how much you remember of the process of it, like migrating to Australia and and what it was like learning English as a child. Oh yeah, for sure, Beck. So basically, um, our parents had got us some tapes, you know, those audio tapes back in the day, and yeah, they um, they had just um, English recordings, and we had a book to go along with it. They prepared us before we moved to Australia. But, you know, we didn't know what was going on. And when I, I remember the first, well, first days in class, I was just sitting there and it was very peaceful. I remember just sitting there and I don't know, I was pretty dazed as a kid, I think. And um, yeah, I, I didn't really think too much, to be honest. But in the playground, it was a lot of fun trying to decipher what was going on. And I remember coming home and speaking with my brother and sister I said, I found a way to communicate with everyone. You just have to start enunciating things and just start moving your mouth and everybody understands. <laughs> this is the kind of conversation <laughs> we have. <laughs> yeah, so that's what we were doing, just like just speaking like literally gibberish. and But we were just having a good time. For some reason, it worked. Uh, we, we eventually started <laughs> speaking English. <laughs> And yeah, we all had. Doesn't a very it? Doesn't it feel like kid, Like sometimes I think kids just. It feels like they do just speak gibberish until yeah, things true. start yeah. to make sense, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the proper way. So yeah, it worked for us eventually. <laughs> but yeah, it was a very good welcome for us. I mean, we in we we didn't feel any problems uh, coming into Australia at all, and we moved out to uh, like a, a rural, a semi-rural area, um, pretty soon after we landed. And there, when we got there, my mom said to my, my brother and I, um, well, David or John? And my brother said David. And that's how I got the, the appellation John, basically, which, which eventually yeah. ended in my passport. But my Korean name is Duwon. But yeah, I mm-hmm. adopted the English name um, just like that, basically. Uh, and then when I entered this new school, my new name was John. So it's kind of strange, but that's that's how I identify myself uh, now. But it's a yeah. it's a strange one because I guess uh, my yeah my identity came in later in my life. Did you have Korean community, Korean language, Korean church, Korean food kind of around yeah. you as a kid after you immigrated? We we went to a Korean church, yeah, all all this time. But in the we were in a semi-rural area as I said so it was it was somewhat isolated from the Korean community so my Korean and my brother and my sister as well uh, like our Korean didn't develop very well thereafter um we still speak to our parents in Korean um but yeah it's it didn't um we didn't integrate so much until later actually when we moved back into the suburbs um then then we got we started getting into like uh, more of the Korean culture. You know, I think it was a typical third culture kid experience. 
trying to discover oneself as well as uh, the culture that uh, define uh, mm-hmm. myself anyway. It was, it was a strange journey. Um, but yeah, we did have, um, there, there are plenty of Korean communities in Sydney. So yeah, we were able to um, plug into those um, for support as well. Yeah, my godfather himself, he's a Korean uh, priest. And um, yeah, that's how I was introduced to the more um, deeper parts of the Catholic faith, actually. Yeah, because okay. he was my Sunday school teacher. So you grew up in a, in a Catholic family, but going to Korean Catholic church, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Well, kind of half-half, you know, because we were so far out, it was, it was yep. not so easy to go to, the, go to the Korean parish all the time. So we'd, do, uh, we'd go to the local parish um, maybe, yeah, maybe two or three times a month and then go to the Korean parish as well in between. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And so when you, you know, when you took this big jump, we're jumping all over the place, John, but everyone keep oh, up because, cool. you know, there's a lot to get through. No. <laughs> <laughs> when um, when you found yourself in Italy and you set yourself this this goal, because it was, you know, it was such a practical, you know, reason to, to get a great handle on language because literally you needed it because you were living mm. there what type of things did you do or what did you find that worked for you to get a good grasp on the Italian language? Sure. So I wasn't familiar with Italian um, so much. Well, when I, when I was uh, given the, um, the notice that I will be going, I started taking one-on-one language lessons. So just in person, I found somebody, um, not sure where I think it was what are those yeah I think it was on Gumtree or something I found oh, yeah. somebody teaching Italian um, locally so I started um, yeah I started taking those lessons and just preparing myself gee it was a lot there's a lot to take in and I don't think I learned too much but it was necessary I think because by the time I got to Italy uh, we got sent into some intensive courses so I think five hours a day, like three hours of lectures and then two hours of one-on-one conversations. Wow. Yeah, this is intense. Was, yeah, but it was lovely. It was in Siena, yeah. which is oh. a beautiful town. And yeah, it was just, yeah, beautiful. it was amazing. I was basically going for runs uh, around, you know, various vineyards. It was really lovely. But um, yeah, at that time, I guess it was a very intense um, Italian learning and we got a certificate at the end of it. It said that I was B2. But anyway, oh, but, but, yeah, but when I got to uni, I didn't understand the thing. Like, again, it was like, wow, I have no idea what these professors are saying. Like, nothing, nada, for like four hours a day of lectures. I just didn't understand a thing. So I was just like, I was just sitting there once again. It's kind of, yeah, I guess it's kind of reminiscent of how I started with English. But yeah, I was com- I was comfortable enough, like because I maybe because I had gone through it as a kid, but I was just sitting there, and um, yeah, it took me a long time to um, to get a grasp of Italian, and I continued with the one on one lessons, um, yeah, during during my first uh, eighteen months of um, being there, and yeah, eventually I think it took about two and a half years 
actually to to actually start understanding like 95% of what what was being said in the lectures and that's not really that's not even counting like expressing myself so i would ask questions but yeah like probably didn't make sense or it wasn't wasn't completely accurate um in, in my phrasing of the questions um for a long time but that probably didn't matter because it sounds like you were still very much understood. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It worked out okay, yeah. actually. It worked out okay. And, and um, yeah, that journey was through was helped through my tutors for sure. Um, I'm an extrovert. So, for me, um, being able to connect with somebody to, to learn was very helpful. And, yeah, I think that, that was probably um, a huge part of it to my tutors but also just listening. I think because the lectures eventually did break through, um, I think that had a huge part, just being exposed to um, the, the spoken Italian day in, day out. Um, even if I didn't understand too much at the beginning, it, it slowly um, pieced together. Um, and, and I think my brain just did the work uh, without me having to put in too much effort but we did also have to read a little bit too and yeah seeing the language and slowing out slowing down the processing of it through reading was also very helpful yeah i think slowing things down is a really valuable sort of reminder for everybody about language learning too i think we're all often people learning languages are in a rush you know we sort of want to progress quickly and we want to we want to see that progress in ourselves but of course these things take time um and we have to be patient with ourselves as well as the (laughs) the ability of our brains to to comprehend and to make those connections and and do things differently and understand things in a different in a different way Mm um i was going to ask then so how what what got you interested in german next because oh, um, I'm sure for lots of people out there, progression from Italian to German is not necessarily the most the one that yeah, you think of. Yeah, that's true. First. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's only recognizable among like hardcore Catholics because at the time the Pope, I think yeah, just before I had entered, um, well, yeah, just before I had moved, um, the Pope before was Pope Benedict, a German Pope. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he, he had me very interested in his theology um, even before I joined the seminary and I was reading his works in English and, yeah, I was so, yeah, a, a fanatic at the time that I wanted to read his works in German. You know, it was funny because, you know, once I had learned the German and read his stuff in German, I was like, by then I was like, I don't really like this guy. That's basically what happened. <laughs> but... Yeah, it took me three years to get to like reading his works, but that's what got me interested. Um, I was doing a thesis on him. Actually, wrote my uh, philosophy thesis on his um, his aesthetics, and yeah, I definitely enjoyed that process. And I wanted to continue to to read more of his works. Um, so that's that's pretty much what got me into it. Of course, there's the German beer. I enjoyed that too. Um, <laughs> yeah, do you know what? German beer is a good reason to also be interested exactly, in German. Exactly. I agree. <laughs> so, yeah, that got me on. They have lots of it. And yeah, it's yeah, so, your yeah, German must recommended. have got to a, a pretty decent standard if you were reading original works and using that for the basis of your doctorate. And 
Well, yeah, it was it was to a to a pretty decent level, I would say, but I'm not sure if I would pass the test now. Forgotten most of it, um, but yeah, I, I I put so you know I was like like um, Beck, you said that a lot of people try to accelerate the the language learning um, progress, and I was one of those uh, when it came to German. I put so mm-hmm. much kind of grit into it, um, and and was burnt out actually and yeah that was part of the learning process about language learning as well um and yeah that's that was very much a uh an ambitious undertaking as as i wanted to do as i wanted to pursue more like academic um work and yeah i think it's a it's quite a competitive field and yeah that was part of um what what motivated me to learn german Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, comparing your experience with English and Italian where I've just got this kind of very zen feel about how, you know, absorption, you know, just let it all wash over you and, you know, you know, step by step. And then the way you're talking about your German learning was sounds very different, like very, you know, structured, go for it, had to do it, obsessed yeah. kind of thing. And, yeah, you know. I- interesting to have those different approaches and to have those reflections now looking back oh for sure yeah yeah i I mean i was curious about the language learning um methods um and i had attended a polyglot gathering oh no it was called the polyglot conference and um Mm -hmm. i wanted to learn how to how to learn a language and yeah being among those who had mastered many I thought I'd be able to pick up a few tricks and tips. And when I came back, I w- that's what I applied to my German. And I realized it wasn't for me. Like, it didn't work for me. I actually went on a holiday to Malta. I was the driver. You know you know how in, in Australia we drive on the left side? So I was living with American seminarians, and they designated me as the driver since, since Malta mm, was uh, also course. left-sided driving. Yeah. But all I did mm-hmm. was seriously drive my mates around and do flashcards for seven <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, when I got back to Rome, I was like, that, that wasn't right. That was a bad holiday. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's funny, John, because actually now in the last episode that we, we record, and anyone who's listened to, to the episode with Natalie King will know that um, she was also a, uh, a bit of a flashcard addict. Um, I think it's really, it's always really interesting to hear these different perspectives from different people. And that's why we, we love recording this podcast, because it's so fun to hear everyone's stories. But um, it's little things like that among people who have learnt languages. Some people are so for flashcards like they they cannot do without them that is the way mm. that they learn vocabulary and they wouldn't have it any other way other people hate them hate them loathe them would never use them they find them repetitive and boring and I think it's so interesting to see how everyone can still get joy out of language but that your methods can be can be vastly different so true. <laughs> yeah it's so true It's just about what works exactly, for you. Exactly, and it's definitely worth trying out, though. It's, it's traumatic for me. It was traumatic it's for traumatic. me, but I would say. You have PTSD from flashcards. Yeah, no, I can't open Anki. I've downloaded it multiple times. I just yeah. can't open it anymore. Fair enough, too. Yeah, but I know now what, what works for me. What, you know, I'm much, like now I'm learning Tunisian and also French. 
and I do it very, uh, yeah, in a relaxed way. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's fine. I'm, I'm, I don't even put a deadline on on when I need to learn this or that by, and and I just know that in five ten years, if I if I do something every day, then yeah, I'll get there. That's cool. So your approach now to your language learning, so you've, you're focusing on French and Tunisian, would you say is a bit of a combination of your past experiences, you know, pulling the best bits that you've kind of felt from all your different experiences into this little oh, yeah. package that you're using now to, to learn languages? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. Like some of the things that I found more effective than others, then I would incorporate that. Um, and some of the things, like I said, with flashcards, like some of the things that doesn't gel well with my personality. Um, I've, yeah, I've decided yeah not to use those elements. So, um, but also in, in terms of my outlook for, for language learning um, and my goals, they're definitely more people related, so it's um it's always now going to involve other people. Um, not all the time, of course. I try to listen to podcasts um, as well as watch videos as well, um, and you know to put uh, put the subtitles on or or dub it on Netflix into French. So, you know, doing those. Uh, I guess it's a little bit of effort, but it's it's very minimal from from my standpoint. Anyway, it's quite yeah. I don't I don't I'm not fully committed as well. It, I only do a little bit every day. So yeah, it's something that will eventually get me there. That's that's how that's how I would frame it for me now. I think doing a little bit every day is really actually very committed. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, it's not like a, I don't have a Duolingo every day oh. ticker thing too. So. It's uh, mm. maybe with a grain of salt. Fair yeah. enough. Not a not a slave to the straight like some uh, some other of us around. There, oh yeah, like me. <laughs> yeah, it would probably help. Yeah, no, I probably should set up one of those <laughs> habit trackers. No, that's all right. Um, John, I was just going to ask, just with you speaking about how you know speaking to other people and you know interacting with other people is really important to you in language learning. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the app that you're working on and and the platform that it is and what it's for and what oh, it will for do? Sure. So um, this the the app came about when I was teaching English um, at a Tunisian private school, and I noticed every single student played. Uh, computer games every single student um, which was confusing to me I played a lot of games in my day but I, I didn't realize it had become so um, you know, prevalent and um, we had a mix of students um, local students as well as was as well as international students and some students were behind in uh, with their English and we were uh, we were a British curriculum school so I, I started to speak with the, the laggers a little bit more and try to elicit more, um, yeah, English speaking from everybody. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of Tunisians who can't access um, other people to speak with, I guess. And we decided to create a, a way for people to meet each other and to language exchange um, through the medium of games. And that's how... That's how Penguin began, 
And that's why we have two G's in Penguin. Penguin with two G's because it stood for good games. And wow. eventually we realized that, um, yeah, it was, a, it was definitely a learning process in how we, we came to where we are now. So now Penguin is um, a teacher tool, a tool that teachers can use um, to facilitate their language lessons online. So it's like Zoom or Google Meet, but with uh, games that help promote conversation, as well as some teaching tools that are more interactive, um, that help the learner engage more in an online class. And yeah, now we're developing the second part, which is to, to make those live lessons um, even more powerful by taking in the data that we, we can collect from the live lessons and turning them automatically into um, kind of like Duolingo style revision exercises um, so that the homework is automatically generated uh, for the student. And mm -hmm. even at that, we're trying to make it possible for the student to um, just watch videos. Like we try to generate videos from, from what was spoken about um, and give you a real or we curate videos so that you can watch them uh, in between the lessons. And yeah, it comes from my laziness. So when I took my language lessons, I admit I rarely did the homework. And so trying to package it, make it as easy <laughs> as possible. And that's uh, what, we, what we are building right now. And yeah, right now it's a teacher tool. And very shortly it will become a way for students as well to, to find teachers, participate in group classes, and yeah, look after their um, language learning journey through yeah, mixing live lessons and um, computer-assisted revision. That sounds really cool. Um, by the way, I'm pretty sure you're not the first person who has not done their homework <laughs> after language classes. Um, I think we are all guilty. Um, but I have a question for you and um, that was just about, you mentioned that you've got like games and sort of interactive activities within mm. the platform that allow um, people to, to use those, I guess, to develop their language skills. Can you give us an example of what you mean oh, by, sure. a, like, by a, yeah, a game mean, or one of those yeah, activities? Yeah, so... Um, we have a game called GeoTalk, which is a clone of another game called GeoTastic. It's um it's a popular game on on the web browser, and I used to play it as well in my classes. But basically, it's one it's one game that we have that in, involves people trying to guess where you are in the world. So we we give you um, we place you in some in a random destination um, on Google Earth. And you have to decipher from the images that you see while you're walking around where you are in the world. Um, and it's a collaborative game um, in terms of speaking uh, about what you see and um, where you think you are from your own experience of travel. And, and then the, the teacher is um, responsible for making a guess about where you are on a little map that we have on the side. And there we, we, we give you the answer like, oh, you were this close or you were this far from the actual destination. Um, so it's just a way to promote speaking practice in a stress-free mm. manner. Um, that's one. And then we just have a mm. few different games uh, like Pictionary. Um, that's to go over vocab while also trying to um, you know, keep, the, keep the lesson more entertaining. 
and um, and then we've incorporated third-party games through a, a code browser or a shared browser, so you can access um, various exercises and games that exist online. Wow. Is this for um, teachers of English language or is it not language specific? Can any language be used? Yeah, we made we made the platform available for all languages in the sense that the the primary purpose of the games is to elicit more um, communication from the students. And so, um, yeah, you can you can come in with any language and, and teach it using those tools. Um, because yeah, the games are actually co-op based, um, ang- language agnostic. Um, but but in terms of the the features that we are working on now with uh, regards to automated revision content generation, all of that is actually yeah English focused for now because the tools are available, and eventually yeah we will also offer other languages, um, French being the next one. Wow, that's so exciting. Amazing. What a what yes. a cool project. Like I feel like that is also something that potentially many people who are listening to this podcast could be oh, interested yeah. in. Because um, I know from like, especially with, I suppose this is this is probably particularly pertinent to like teenagers and stuff. I guess that's how you came up with the idea. Mm. But um, like when you when you do have online lessons with somebody, like conversation having conversation is awesome right if that's if that's all you want to do with your teacher like just chatting with them about like your day and what you do and your interests and all that kind of stuff is fine but sometimes when you had like the same teacher for a long time um you run out of things to say like <laughs> like they have to get really creative about coming up with ways to like make you interact on different things so that you don't just feel like you're talking about the same stuff all the time mm. and I'm sure that like actually having a game or like something to do yeah. <laughs> that like allows you to have a meaningful interaction um but that gives you something new to talk about um that could be a really cool way to assist with providing some some yeah, focus for sure. um, outside of the other sorts of activities that teachers teachers exactly, provide exactly and i mean for us uh, the original concept behind the games was of course to facilitate more conversation and at the same time we also wanted to um we also wanted to create an environment for meeting new people um, without having to go into discussing more personal matters um this was when we considered language exchange as, a, as an important way to, to interact on our platform. Um, as I said, now it's become more of a teaching tool, but uh, we're actually doing, mm-hmm. we're trying to actually incorporate both elements in our next iteration where we will allow a teacher to facilitate, uh, let's say, a speaking club or an immersion speaking lesson. So where multiple students can participate with one teacher and the teacher can like on, like on Zoom, they have breakout rooms. We're, we're creating breakout rooms, and then from there, the students can play the games or enter into a conversation exercise among themselves and get to know each other, hmm. and yeah, use the platform to to get to know the other people, and you and basically leverage that to to get more motivation and more. Um, I guess continuing to learn a language is difficult. So yeah, being able to meet more people, get more stimulus and get more engagement out of each lesson. That's, uh, that's what we are aiming at now. 
Fantastic. What a what a cool thing to work on. Um, we would love to hear updates on, on how you go really? with this, John. So, oh, so keep sure us posted. Um, something else that I know you're working on as well is because um, you're actually part of the Easy Languages team. Am I right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So Can you tell easy, us a little bit Tunisian about Arabic. that? Yeah. So um, Easy Tunisian Arabic is um, the channel that, well, it's not a channel uh, yet, but it's um, we we create videos for easy languages which is uh which was born from easy german which was the first mm-hmm. one and i was yeah. learning german um yeah with easy german it was very helpful for me to to watch the street interviews get familiar with the culture um through the videos and um yeah i became a big fan and i came across their call for more um hosts from from various places around the world and um, I partnered with a friend of mine and yeah, we, we applied and, and then we started, um, yeah, we got trained by their team, the easy languages team, and we started doing street interviews. And now I learned Tunisian by going over the, the same videos that we created. Wow. Yeah, How it's good. great. That's fantastic. The Easy Languages videos, and we will include a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, I, I also personally really like Easy Languages and their channels and find their videos mm. so helpful. Like the street videos are just so like, they're so real. Um the way that like, cause, so for anybody who hasn't seen the Easy Languages videos on YouTube, basically they just the hosts go around like the streets and just ask people questions. I'm guessing like, John, mm. that must be what you're, what you're doing as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And you just hear people talking in a very real, normal way um, rather than it feeling like it's something that is uh, sort of contrived for a language learning uh, context. Um, so mm. very different to the kinds of sort of uh, listening exercises that I think many of us would remember from having done in in textbooks or um, you know as part of courses um, that they're yeah very very real videos and yeah personally I I have really enjoyed using them especially for German actually so um, oh, I think that's that's really cool that you're working with the team Kari and Janusz if you are ever listening to this podcast I'm a huge fan <laughs> Oh, awesome. Yeah, and I'll pass that on. I'll pass that on for sure as well. Yeah, yeah but like, please do. I would like completely fangirl over them both. Oh, yeah, no, same. Yeah, same here. No, I was I was amazed when I was able to have a Zoom meeting with them and eventually to meet them oh, too. It was really awesome. And, you know, they love traveling so cool. too. I think they'd be up for um, coming to Australia, so I'll put you in touch. Oh, my goodness. Yes, if they yeah. ever came to Australia, like, and did some, like, yeah, on-location no, videos, would, like, sure 100%, I am so bad. yourself back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure they would take I'm it available. They'll <laughs> oh, be no, like, I will show you around cool. Melbourne. <laughs> oh, they'd love it. They'd love it. Yeah, yeah, no, I think they would. And you should go to Berlin, too. That's where they are. And uh, they'd be happy to show you around, too. Very exciting. Yeah. Yes, amazing. Well, John, I think we've had we've had such a good chat with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to to speak with oh, us and to all. share your your story and your work with us as well. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Language Chats. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Beck and Penny. I really appreciate uh, the conversation, and I hope we can do it once again soon. Thank you, John. Keep us posted.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Language Chats. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, then you can go to our website at www.languagelovers.com.au. You can also find us in the normal internet places. We're on Facebook, languagelovers.au, and also on Instagram, languagelovers.au. If you'd also like to get involved in the conversation a little bit more, um, we have a Facebook community um, and you can find our group at languagelovers.au community. We would love to see you there. And don't forget you can subscribe to Language Chat so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you have a quick 30 seconds, we would love it if you could leave us a rating and review. We read every comment and we love hearing from you. Please don't forget to share the episode with other language learners that you know who might find some value in our chat today. And we can't wait until the next episode. See you then. See you next time.